0: Uh, Kevin, what does it mean to have your home be a lighthouse?
1: I think as a Christian, it means that you make a decision that your home isn't a place to hide from the world, but it's a place to say, God, we want this place to shine with your love and your grace and your presence and actually invite the world in.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you'll hear more about how to uh, let your home be a place of hope and a beacon of hope on today's Focus on the Family with Focus president and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and our guests are Kevin and Sherry Harney, and uh, they serve together at Shoreline Community Church in Monterey, California. Kevin's the lead pastor. Sherry is Director of Strategic Leadership Development. And uh, it's their first time here at Focus on the Family. Well, let me say, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank
3: you. We're well, happy to, to, be to be here. It's yeah.
2: good to have you.
0: I really do like the idea and the concept of the book, um, organic outreach for families. I mean, it's not a gardening book. No.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. But hopefully
0: there'll be some good fruit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, that's what we're talking about. That image of a lighthouse, uh, one, I, I really appreciate that because it captures so much of the spirit of our faith and trying to be a beacon and, and draw people in. Uh, talk about the concept, the kind of the overarching concept of your uh, book here, Organic Outreach. What was the point you were trying to make in being a lighthouse?
1: Well, it's interesting. Before we were married, uh, as we were engaged and hoping one day we'd have children, we began talking about uh, the kind of life we wanted to live. Uh, we're both kind of advanced planners, and so we were thinking ahead, saying, boy, when we're married someday and we, figured, we actually figured we'd never own a house, we'd probably be in an apartment our whole life just because... Uh, One income pastor uh, raising kids. We thought, you know, that's probably what it'll be. But we said, wherever God puts us, uh, we just deeply desire that he would use us there. And that whoever is near us, whether it's an apartment, a trailer park, a neighborhood, uh, to say, God, could you let your light shine Mm -hmm. in natural ways? And that's the key is natural.
0: It Uh, is. Uh, Kevin and Sherry, let me ask you this. Uh, You know, here at Focus, uh, we started measuring kind of our our activity and how people are responding to it. So we do survey work every year now, asking people how FOCUS has helped them. And Mm -hmm. I have been so pleasantly surprised to find that about 190,000 people every year uh, accept Christ or wow. recommit wow. their life to the Lord. Yeah. I, I would not think That's of exciting. focus in that way, but it is exciting. It's about, it's over 500 mm-hmm. people a day. Wow. And about uh, 85 of those 500 are children mm-hmm. who are listening to Odyssey or things like that. And that thrills my heart. But I think at my core, I tend to lean into that uh, evangelistic gift. I like it. I like engaging people that don't know the Lord. Is there an aspect of that when you're talking about opening up your home where the evangelist, if you have that bent, you're going to be far more comfortable with that than somebody maybe who doesn't feel that gift from the Lord?
3: Well, I think that between the two of us, that happened. Uh, Kevin is an evangelist. I'm not. That's not one of my gifts. But that's one of the things that we talk about in the book is how those of us who maybe don't consider ourselves as as the gift of evangelism, that we're all called to be the light Hmm. in the world. In in Matthew 5, it says that you are the light of the world. Jesus said that about us. And so all of us our call to shine that light. And Mm -hmm. so we hope that through our book, we're encouraging families on how to be that light.
0: Sherry, let me ask you this, because I so appreciate that vulnerability, because it, you know, as people go, whoa, you're not comfortable with evangelism? Mm -hmm. It's almost like code blue in Christian talk. Mm -hmm. But how do you, um, how did you work that out early in your marriage? Were you ever uncomfortable?
3: Very much so. And I think that that is actually where our passion to write this series of books on organic outreach came, realizing that there are some people who are gifted evangelists and some are not. And how do we train people like myself to have this passion and this ability to, in a natural way, share the love of Jesus? And so basically, this is what moved us is the gap between the mm-hmm. two of us mm-hmm. to write yeah. the series.
1: And to bring comfort to your listeners about studies which show that 95 to 97% of Christians don't have the gift of evangelism. 95 yeah, wow. to 97%. But we can all love And we can all listen and care. Well, it's even
3: when you look at the spiritual gifts, some people have the gift of generosity, but we're all called to give. Mm. And some people have gifts of service, but we're all called to serve. And it's very much like that with evangelism, that there's some people who have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to share Jesus.
0: Uh, Let me ask it a different way, too, because I think it's important. Uh, Kevin, you're a pastor. Sherry, you're a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. With that can come so many expectations. Um, did you ever feel mm-hmm. that of, uh, Sherry, particularly yourself? I mean, everybody thinks the pastor's going to go out and speak to people about the Lord. That's part of his job description, is to be out there witnessing for Christ. That's in a pastor's job description, is it, Kevin? It, should, it certainly should be, yeah. <laughs> but then sometimes you can feel as his wife, okay, I, I've got to measure up too. Did you have those feelings early Absolutely. in your
3: life? And I think that anybody who is in that role, as I was, we feel that way and we have to work through that i think for me it was my personal relationship with jesus just coming before him and and letting him know lord i love you and i know that you want to use me too and so i really need you to be leading me and helping me and so just actually letting the passion of jesus become my passion for mm. lost being in the word and making it not about a role so much i'm not a pastor's wife per se, but I am a child of God, loved by God, who has this amazing gift mm. to share the love of Christ. I'm actually in a position to be able to share that and to kind of that journey of taking myself out of that role and realizing that we are Children of God, and He wants to use each one of us, mm-hmm. and really just being in the Word, reading those passages that does say that I am the light of the world mm-hmm. and that I have something to offer. And so, for me, it was this journey of actually getting filled so much with Jesus that Jesus came out, and not my insecurities.
1: Ah, uh-huh.
0: mm-hmm. now that is really a great point, and we're all insecure in certain ways. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, yeah, uh, Sherry, you came from a Christian home, mm-hmm. and Uh, Kevin, you did not. That's Mm got to create some dynamics. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. uh, You know, that's wonderful that the Lord brings you together in this bond of love. Mm -hmm. But talk about, if you're able, talk about some of that tension because I'm sure Mm -hmm. there are expectations. And and then, again, it gives you, uh, Kevin, a passion for the lost in maybe a different way from Sherry. So just talk about that dynamic. Well,
3: when I grew up in a home and most of my relatives knew the Lord, that was really my circle of influence were people who just loved Jesus passionately. I actually didn't have a lot of experiences with people who didn't know the Lord until I met Kevin. His family has a totally different background. Maybe you can share.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I say, uh, and my family knows I say this, I grew up in a loving, healthy pagan home. Uh, Loving, My parents, I did their 50th renewal of vows uh, Hmm. some years ago, very healthy in the sense that it was, uh, there was kindness, there was uh, firm, clear discipline, there was goals set for the family, but no faith. I I didn't see a Bible growing up. I didn't hear the name of Jesus growing up unless somebody was angry. But interesting, Uh, the principles seem to be there. Yeah, but there, and and I think partly because in the whole broad extended family, uh, there was one Christian and that was my dad's mom. And so her kids were influenced and they knew things. They just chose to not embrace them and follow those things. And so then you bring, you know, for me, uh, in my, in my, before I became a Christian, my grade point average was at 0.75 the year before I became a Christian. Oh I was in high school. <laughs> my mom was a math and science teacher. She knew exactly what 0.75 meant. <laughs> uh,
3: and uh, my dad was Holy. a computer
1: graphics inventor and designer. And so they, you know, sort of this academic intellectual you know, atheism or agnosticism. And no faith, no connection. Then I then I become a Christian. But when I meet Sherry, she's immersed in this beautiful legacy of faith. I say to people, I wish I had what Sherry had. I wish that I could say I had parents that prayed for me when I was a little boy. I wish I had parents that knelt by my bed and prayed with me. I had none of that. And so I tell young people, if your parents are growing you in faith, thank them hmm. because, man, I wish I had what you have. Yeah, but so often
0: it's resented. You know?
1: they, yeah, that's, which is heartbreaking. And so what's happened now is Sherry and I, when we first met and then we first got married particularly, the challenges of our differences were massive. Now, we still bump into those probably weekly, three <laughs> yeah, years later, right. yeah. but they're not as intense and we know each other better. But that, that created a real challenge, but also a real joy in how our lives fit together and part, that helps our outreach the community but yeah.
3: I actually appreciated being a part of Kevin's family and spending those years because it, it grew my heart for people who didn't know Jesus right. because I wasn't around so many people that um, didn't know of the love of Jesus I, I missed out on a passion growing for the lost mm. for those yeah. who don't yet know this amazing news and we have great news and so it that has been part of my journey to grow my passion is to meet wonderful people who don't know the Lord. Well,
0: let's let's bend into the book then and the content in organic outreach because mm-hmm. in there you're talking about how to make your home that lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Did you decide that on your honeymoon? Mm-hmm. Did the two of you as a young couple say, let's make our house that's a beacon for the lost and bring people in? How did that get going? Where'd you get traction mm-hmm. saying, okay, this is what we want to do?
3: I think honestly, um, it started when we were engaged, yeah. don't you think, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, and uh we have an interesting story because Kevin just had this big heart to serve God, do anything for him at any cost. Hmm. And I was more cautious. Yeah. And uh, so actually what had happened was we were engaged. I was living in Ontario, California, and he was living in Pasadena. And he called me one night and he said, hey, Sherry, uh, I just want you to know I've I've, um, I've been able to minister to this guy off the streets. Hmm. And Kev, I'll let you finish it because you, yeah. you remember it better. And this wasn't
1: unusual for me. I, I was still a somewhat new Christian and I didn't grow up with faith. So when I read the Bible, I just tried to do whatever it said. So people came and knocked on my door and wanted money. I'd give them money. If they wanted food, I'd bring them in and I'd feed them. If they wanted to I'd open my closet and I'd say, take whatever you want. And I wasn't thinking about how this might impact when you're married someday. Uh, right. <laughs> and so this guy comes to my door and, and he was in a rough time, a young guy. And and he uh, knocked on my door and he asked if he could have some food. And I gave him some food. And I ate mostly Top Ramen and bologna those days. I, I was broke. And so... It was but, easy to say, take my food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was easy. There was no steaks in the freezer. Uh, so we, we had a meal together and he hung out at my house for a while. And then he actually... Uh, um, you know, he asked if he could stay the night and uh and i said sure i'll be here tonight and i'll let you stay the night and i think did i call you before or after that
3: well all i remember is <laughs> i got the call that this young man was going to be spending the night with kevin that was not a good moment for me mm. because i it was the first time in our engagement or our dating that i actually thought to myself can i marry a man who just lets anybody off the street into our home overnight. I had images of our, you know, raising a family, having kids, and we have all these people just coming that we don't even know. And I Mm. questioned whether that was safe. Mm. If we don't know That's a fair question. It was. And it was such a big concern for me that night because I loved Kevin. I wanted to marry him. I remember it actually, um, I'm just going to say it, I ended up throwing up. I was so Mm. sick to my stomach because I thought, I know we want to be this family. We had already been talking about it. We want to be a family that, that, it reaches out, but is this part of that? Yeah. And so, anyways, I spent the night sick. Kevin spent the night.
1: So the guy stayed the night, and I was alive in the morning. And uh, and <laughs> so uh, then I had to go to class. I was a student going to seminary. Had to go to class. And so I told him I was going to head to class. He's well, he said, I'll just stay here while you're gone. And I had enough sense to say, well, that's probably not. I could probably come back and everything could be gone. I didn't have a lot, but I thought. You know, so I said, well, listen, you know, and it was actually a triplex that my grandmother owned. And I was in the front one. She was in the back one. I was in Pasadena. So it was a little old lady from Pasadena. That was both my grandmothers lived in Pasadena. <laughs> True story. My grandma and my granny lived in Pasadena my whole life growing up. So I said to him, well, why don't you go do something else for a while and then come back in about four hours when my, my class is done and you can come back and we'll have some dinner or something. And he said, okay, great. So I headed off to school. He left. I got to tell you, I, I pulled in from school and there were two police cars in the back of the triplex at my grandmother's place. And I thought, wow, I wonder if she had a heart attack or something. I don't know what's going on. And, I, and it never crossed my mind. I didn't put any pieces together. I went to the back. And she's sitting there with a the police officer kind of kneeling by her. And she's you know, pale and sheet white and upset. And, and another officer comes out to me and he said, I need to talk with you. One of your friends assaulted and robbed your grandmother. Oh. I still didn't put the pieces together. I thought, what are my friends? What, who of my friends would do that? And he said, yeah, the gentleman who's been staying with you. He used your name and said he was staying with you and he was a friend of yours. And he asked her if he could use the bathroom. And when he came in, uh, he stole a bunch of her things. And then, and thank by God's grace, he hugged her and kissed her. And she felt very it was very inappropriate. And then he left and he didn't do anything else. So I was so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And I stood there and I had to rethink mm-hmm. what it means to be a lighthouse home.
3: Mm-hmm. Does
1: it mean you open your door to everybody at all times, no matter what the cost Or is there a place of wisdom and discernment and prayer and boundaries? And I'd never thought about that before. And that changed the trajectory of our journey together. Uh, We still were committed to this, but we had to think about how do you do this when you're going to be married, when you have children, Mm. and how do you still lay it all out for Jesus, but also stay alive to lay it out tomorrow too? That was a
3: pivotal moment for us to begin this conversation. How do we become a home that shines the light, but doesn't open up to places and people that might damage or harm our own family Mm -hmm. and just that journey but also having our heart be experienced that we love people and we want to help them we want to share jesus with them it's a very tough
2: issue yeah and there are no easy answers and i appreciate (laughs) we haven't we haven't found any yet in 30 years of working. yeah (laughs) well i appreciate your honesty because uh, it is an, uh, an uncomfortable part of of living a life for christ is There's some risks, and uh, you've really laid out some good stuff, uh, some very practical steps for doing this naturally and authentically uh, in your book, Organic Outreach for Families. We're talking to Kevin and Sherry Harney on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly.
0: Uh, Let me ask you this Um, it is very transparent. I appreciate that. And I think just about every Christian couple will have this discussion, especially when kids arrive. Mm -hmm. And if you've been in that modality, of wanting to be Christ to those around you and bringing people home for dinner and things like that, you start, every wise wife and mother will, <laughs> will start <laughs> thinking, well, wait a minute, yeah. I'm putting my little ones at risk, especially in this day and age where the culture, the value system is uh, changing yeah. and you know it's not Mayberry RFD. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that. What are some of the practical ways over the 30 years that you've done this that you've learned that it works best? Let's spend the, the other half of the program here talking about yeah. those practical approaches. So what do you yeah. do that, that does minister to people, yeah. that doesn't put you at too great a risk, and that gets the point across in terms of the gospel?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'd ask Sherry to talk, you know, we, Sherry, you always talk about uh, how we learn to share everything we had and everything mm-hmm. we did, mm-hmm. and that was one of our, kind of our, our mm-hmm. ongoing themes. How can we share what we have? How can we share what we do?
3: So when we look at whatever we have and whatever we do, Out of our home how can we leverage that for the gospel and so for instance when we were raising three boys one of the things that we found out is that boys love to eat
2: (laughs) (laughs) pretty much eat and sleep yeah so how
3: could we leverage that for the gospel and one of the ways that we did it was uh, we had a basement in Michigan when we, we were raising our boys in Michigan we had a basement and it was just an open area for the kids to play but we we bought a refrigerator and we put a refrigerator downstairs, and we put food in. We didn't spend a lot of money, but we had a line item in our budget, food for neighbor boys, you know, for the kids. And sometimes there'd be
1: 20 or 30 kids yeah, at once. And, oh and yeah. students, it's like locusts just standing on the <laughs> land, yeah. and then when they <laughs> leave, it'd be
0: gone. Food, you know, it sounds but, like a Sam's Club moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: But we found this to be a great way to reach out to the community because word got out, you could get free food at the Harney's. <laughs> and uh, and we, w- we had a cabinet too that we stocked Not a huge amount of food But cans of soup And different things like that And the thing that was I think So neat for the boys and their friends Was the refrigerator in the basement Was theirs mm-hmm. F- And anybody could go into it At any time And eat what was ever there and that, for some reason, that was a huge draw for the boys. They mm-hmm. felt loved. It's kind of that, that idea of that refrigerator rights. Yeah. You know, if you let someone into your refrigerator, you're saying to them, you're part of our family.
1: Mm-huh. But I'll say a word about boundaries. We had a refrigerator upstairs, which they did not have rights to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because if they did, all of our food for our, you know, Sherry would go grocery shopping and then it would all disappear. So we said, this is your refrigerator. This is your cabinet. Whatever's in it, you can have.
3: And I say to families, if you don't have basements, put a small refrigerator in the garage. Right. But just the sense that refrigerator writes that if you are a part Mm. of our family, you are welcome here. We Mm. have food for you. You're welcome. Um, That was definitely Mm. one thing that we did.
1: And I'll say, too, sometimes she'd have these cans of soup and things in the cabinet. And there were kids that would come over that were hungry. Hungry. These kids come from different walks of life. And just for them to sit and have a bowl of soup and to watch them to realize this is ministry. This is part Mm. of how we are caring for these boys. Mm. And And it was mostly mostly
0: boys until they were older. (laughs) And that's living in Michigan. You were in the same cul-de-sac for 17 years. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a little unusual. But uh, yeah, what were some of the...
3: another thing that we were able to leverage for the gospel was when we decided to get an above-the-ground pool not a fancy it was low cost and this was a time you have to understand this was 20 years ago and a lot of people didn't have above the ground pools so when we got ours in our neighborhood it became the spot that everybody wanted to come to. It had and, to be. And, and again, that creates a dilemma. So how do I share this? How do I leverage this for the gospel, but maintain safety? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I can't spend all my days watching kids swim. That was not a call on my life. and that was a struggle for me. I have to say, I sought the Lord,'t didn't, I didn't have books like this to go to. and as I, I prayed, I said, Lord, you know my heart. You know I want to have certain boundaries, but I want to use this for you. And the way that we did this, we had one day, we designated one day, and this was during the summer months, we made it Tuesday, and we told all our neighbors that from one to five, Anybody was invited, as long as they brought a babysitter or a parent, another adult, that would be responsible for them. But what happened is, word spread that Tuesday afternoons, you could go swimming at the Harneys, but it wasn't a big pool, but lots of people came and they brought their parents, they brought their babysitter. Mm -hmm. And every Tuesday afternoon during the summer months, we sat together, watching our kids play, swim, and conversations about God came up. And I found that to be one of the most exciting times to share about what God is doing in our lives. We really were able to be light in those moments by leveraging our pool. At the same time, though, the other days, the boys knew that they could invite their friends anytime. But they also had a sense, I can share my things with the world. But there are times when there are proper boundaries for me to say, I can't share right now because I, I can't provide what's needed to make it the best, make it safe.
0: Well, and it's good. It, it speaks to intentionality. I, I'm sure Absolutely. some people, though, are hearing that going, I'm so exhausted, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm working so hard already, and maybe even my wife is out of the home working, and for mm-hmm. us, to sounds right, it sounds good, it sounds like what I should do as a Christian or yeah. as a Christian couple, these are the right. things we should be doing. I'm just tired. Yeah. I mean, I put my garage door up, go in, shut it, because I've got so much i got to do already. Uh, Speak to that that aspect of it. You've got to give of yourself yeah. in Absolutely. order to do this, but you've got to make margin in your life yeah. to have 50 kids over on Tuesday right. and not go insane. Yeah,
1: right. And I think we would probably say that of your listeners, that's just a guess, the vast majority of your listeners would be able to say that. And we could say that on any given day, even on pool day, even on uh, when, uh, you know, when 25 middle school kids would come over for uh, an evening at our house. (laughs) Think Um, of that. 25. It was, it was middle school. It is, it is. And (laughs) so I don't think there were many times where we came in all perky saying, who's coming over today? It's part of it. And that's why it's a decision. And that's why it's intentional to say If we are going to be the presence of Jesus, if we if our home is going to shine with the light of Jesus, number one, we have to be around occasionally, because we're gone from our home so much these days. You know, we have to be around occasionally, and then when we're around, we have to have an open spirit, even when we're tired. Mm. And there were times where Sherry and I would, uh, where we just it was kind of you know part of it was boy we love doing this. Sometimes it was just flat out ministry. It's that this is our calling. And you go, well, you've been been ministering all day long. Yeah, and now we're going to minister all night long. And one of the things that we talk about is the fact that, and we're good about a rhythm of Sabbath once a week, but we talk about we're going to really get to rest someday where we really get to rest, probably when we get to heaven. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, I'm exhausted. That's that's true. That's part of our journey.
1: I'll I'll tell you one more neat uh, issue of of where we learned about boundaries and serving is that when I would go out in front of our house with our boys, a little front lawn, not a big lawn, but a little front lawn, And there were how many boys in our cul-de-sac?
3: 11 under 11.
1: 11 under 11, (laughs) early on. And then the kids from the other streets would start to, they'd see us doing something, they'd come over. So I'd go out with my three boys to play. And before you knew it, there'd be 11, 12, 13, 14 boys there. And and I'm a big kid. So I'd organize soccer games and basketball games. I'd come up with all different fun things to do. And that was fun for me. and again, I usually after a busy full day, but I'd come home in the summers, usually in the evenings, time to play. But one day after we'd hung out and played with all the neighborhood boys, one of my boys, I don't remember which one, pulled me aside and he asked this question. He said, dad, could we ever just play with you? Huh? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, every time we go outside to play, it's like 10 or 15 kids and, and it's great, but could we ever just play with you? Hmm. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. Good question. Boundaries again, loving, serving boundaries. And so I I said the next time all the boys came over from the neighborhood, I said, Hey, listen, I said, every so often uh, we're going to have a a Harney family time. It was Harney family time. You can't come over, but after Harney family time is done, then you can come over. And, and I was worried, like, they'd feel all bad and hurt and stuff. They're like, oh, okay, great. Is this a Harney family? I'm, yes, it is. They all took off. So <laughs> a couple of days later, I'm out with the boys. They come running over, like, halfway across the street. They stop and they go, is this a Harney family time? And I'm like, <laughs> I look at my boys and they're like, "Yeah, I said, yes, it is. And then they go, okay, wh- we'll come over later. And they didn't feel bad at all. They yeah. just they just heard the boundaries. And they, But what happened with my boys then is that they knew there were times that were just for them. And then times to play with the neighbors, and oh, so yeah, it communicated so, a lot to your yeah, sons. it did to our boys and to the neighbors. They learned something about boundaries too. I think. Yeah. So, but,
3: but maybe to answer your question a little bit too is that one of the things about organic outreach that we talk about is we're trying to figure out a way that's comfortable for you to serve. So maybe you're not that family that has tons of people over. Kevin and I, we kind of we loved that, but maybe you're not that family. But you have to figure out how you can minister. Maybe your kids bringing a single friend in, just the two kids, but showing kindness, being there for them, uh, letting them know as maybe when you're talking with them that you're going to be praying for them. But finding those open doors, whether it's in a big crowd or whether it's just one-on-one as they come into your home, I found that just a smile and a kind word to say their name when they walked in, hi, Jim, how are you doing today? Mm really ministered. It doesn't take a lot. But I think in today's world, especially, to feel loved is so important. Well, it's lacking. It's lacking. And just that respect you give by calling someone a name and saying hello to them and how are you doing? So maybe you're not doing it in a big group. But I would also say, as Kevin said, it costs... It just costs. I remember, Kevin and I would have loved to have gone out on dates on Friday nights because we were working, I was working part-time at the right. time and actually two part-time jobs. But uh, we decided on Friday nights because we cared about the kids, we wanted to make sure that our home was a lighthouse, we would have our Friday night dates at the kitchen table. And we just played games together, card games. <laughs> I mean, that way though, we were in the house and- Close boys, enough to the
0: action. Yep.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, but we long to just go out on a Friday night and I'm sure some Friday nights we could have, uh, but that was a decision that we made.
0: Yeah. Let, let me ask you this though. I mean, one of the big issues that I see generally is our lack of action. I mean, mm-hmm. the book of James is pretty clear and there's profound things, you know, take mm-hmm. care of the widow and the orphan. That's something, John, we talk about here mm-hmm. at Focus yeah. on the Family. Uh, that to-do list can be daunting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, unfortunately it seems that, many of us in the Christian community, we are overwhelmed with a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and we're forgetting, even like in our marriages, we're forgetting job one. Yeah. And what you're talking Absolutely. about is job one is being Christ to those around you, including yeah. your spouse, including your kids, yeah. but yeah. also including your neighbor. Yeah. And so often today, we're isolated from our neighbors in that way. We don't have the margin. We don't believe yeah. we have the margin to go do that. But I, I can only imagine... If 40, 50, 60 million people in this country who walk with the Lord, uh, if we were able to find that margin to act like Jesus acted, to love like Jesus loved, this would be a different nation.
1: Well, Jim and John, this is one of the things that we talk about and that we talk with others about is if you could imagine, I mean, just think just where we live in the United States or the whole world, but in the United States, if every Christian family uh, whether it's a, a single parent with one child, whether it's a dad and mom with seven kids, uh, whether you lived kind of in a country area or a inner city, or whether you lived in a neighborhood or in a, a trailer park, if you said where we live could become the very presence of Jesus and the light of Jesus could shine here. And people would know that if they were hurting or broken or afraid they could come here and be prayed for, mm. our home became a place of prayer in a powerful way. And whenever there was a crisis in culture or our community, The neighbors came to our house Mm -hmm. because they knew we'd pray these kids that would come over and you know have food in the refrigerator and swim in the pool eventually started coming over by themselves even when our boys weren't there to talk with sherry and i and we would sit and talk with them and pray with them on our couch and just and just care for them because they knew it was a safe place and so you know making your pool available is sort of pre-evangelism it's just loving people (laughs) but it's opening the door where people say this is a safe place and this is a loving place.
0: Does a story stick out for you? I mean, I could have easily been one of those boys mm. coming to your mm-hmm. house yeah. because I, And we know, would have loved it. It was broken. <laughs> I came from a really dysfunctional yeah. situation. Yeah. And so, you know, I would have loved to have known a neighbor yeah. that would let yeah. me swim in their pool and go over there. Um, would you intentionally look for that Boy mm-hmm. or girl who yeah. seems a little a bit in trouble.
1: They found us. Yeah. Oh yeah. And how? Look. What does that yeah.
0: discussion look like? How would they open yeah. their heart to you?
3: That was probably one of our biggest challenges, is ministering to children that were troubled. Yeah. You know, for multiple reasons. Wanting to help them, but also wanting to protect our children as well because we know what influences do to children. That was probably our biggest challenge mm-hmm. is how do you love some of the kids that are troubled and are, from what we could tell, going in the wrong direction? Sure. Yeah. And now we are letting our kids mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And that and was inviting them into our home. And inviting them know? in our home. That's a faith step. And encouraging our boys. To hang out with those kinds of kids. Wow,
0: that is very uh, challenging. It, I could see that. It was because we try to protect today.
3: Yes, absolutely. And that was the I would say our biggest challenge. And one of the things, the way that we did it, is we early on we let our children know that they could hang out with anybody they wanted. We would tell them that you may because we, we're we would tell them we're the light of the world. We have good news to share we want you to hang out with anybody but you may hang out with anybody as long as you are light mm-hmm. as long as you're the influencer but we want you to know that when we see that their darkness may be influencing you we will pull you out
0: hmm how let me ask the million dollar question your kids are grown now your three mm-hmm. boys how are they doing oh spiritually how are they doing yeah
3: all passionately love the lord yeah yeah isn't that interesting yes you
0: take a risk you put your kids and you coach them to launch i mean that's what you really were doing Mm -hmm. right because they're going to get into the world at some Mm -hmm. point and Mm -hmm. they're going to experience people that use bad language that uh, use drugs that use alcohol that have premarital sex i mean that is the environment and yes To the parents, that includes Christian campuses, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Christian schools. Sure. And to prepare your kids to engage, I I like that. That takes courage, though.
1: Well, and I tell you, it was messy. Um, It was challenging uh, because uh, one of our boys, uh, the circle of friends he hung out with, were I think only two of those kids actually graduated from high school, uh, one ended up in prison, not just jail, but in prison. And, and then there were some great stories of God's redemptive work in kids' lives as well. But it, so it was a mixed bag. Sure. And there were times where we had to say, "Okay, we're drawing boundaries. We're pulling you out because we're seeing the influence hitting you."
0: Well. So it wasn't always clean and easy. Yeah, and yeah. I want to I want to respond to the gasp from the moms, and I can hear moms <laughs> gasping <laughs> yeah. out there going, sure. "That's ridiculous." Yep. Um, speak to that mom's heart. How do you you know how do you tread carefully yet courageously? sounds like an oxymoron.
3: Yeah. You yeah. have to put the time in. You need to be there in the home. There has to be some level of commitment to be watching if you're going to allow your kids to be in the in those places.
0: When that speaks to the parents, right? Cruise mm-hmm. control doesn't mm-hmm. work. Uh-uh. It so it doesn't. it starts making a mm-hmm. lot of impact on you in terms of time and observation and being engaged. Mm-hmm. And so many of us as parents, we want autopilot. Yeah. We don't wanna be engaged if we're really honest with ourselves. Yeah,
3: Yeah, and I remember there was a time that I, it seemed like for a season, I was the one that was the driver with one of our boys and their friends. And I was driving all the time. And Kev said, how come you're driving all the time? And, And, you know, and there weren't other mothers at that point available to drive. And I told Kevin, I said, you don't understand. These are junior high. You know, ages. I said I love driving them because I'm listening to what the conversation <laughs> is. I'm getting a better pulse on what our son is involved in. Mm-hmm. And when I said that to Kevin, that made total sense to him.
1: In fact, one example is when Sherry uh, was driving the kids, and then she came home and said to me, Kevin, one of the kids in the back seat started talking about, do you know what rape is, and and talking about the topic of rape. And and she was like. They were in second grade. This was second grade, yeah. Oh and this is one of the kids that we were reaching out to. And, 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 uh, and you go, okay, that's a wake up call. Right. And so do you, you know, bubble wrap your kids and lock them in a room <laughs> and don't let them out until they're 20? Or do you figure out how do we walk with families where kids are asking these mm-hmm. questions? Asking our, and if they're asking this question in front of Sherry or if they're at least up driving, what are they asking in private? So it was, I mean, those, but we, we talk a lot about studying your children. Mm-hmm. study your children study their culture study their friends and you can't do that from a distance
2: mm-hmm.
1: you got to get in you know, knee-deep
2: well that goes back uh, to your opening statement Kevin that uh, too many of us have a bunker mentality and we silo ourselves off from the world and you're saying no it's all about engaging with the world from a biblical perspective
0: we're not good with messy no. the Christian church has become too efficient at being clean mm-hmm. and pure and I would challenge that. But I mean, I think that's what we think we're achieving when what the Lord does, even with the disciples on the shores of the Decapolis, when he casts the demons out of the man into the swine, think of that moment, because the disciples mm-hmm. didn't want to get out of the boat. Yeah. Because in a Jewish context, if they stepped foot on that soil, they became unclean. Mm-hmm. And Jesus jumps out of the boat and engages the culture. Yeah, that is such a good picture for us. Yeah. And that's what you've done. Yeah. Uh, through that activity, you've jumped out of the boat, put your foot down on the Decapolis, yeah. the outskirts of yeah. the uh, known world at the time, yeah. in a really ugly situation, and you brought Christ to them.
3: Yeah. And, and I, I found that praying on my knees.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet you <laughs> did. I found myself yeah. in my
3: bedroom on my knees, yeah. being honest with God, saying, God, you know our heart. You know what we're trying. We're trying to proclaim the good news, but you know we don't want to sacrifice our child. No. Yeah. And we don't feel like you're asking us to do that. Yeah. But as long as they can be that influencer, Lord, help us. Mm, I do yeah. have to say that for one of our sons, this he was able actually to be the influencer. The other moms were thrilled. They were happy to have him be the one hanging out with their own kids. These moms were struggling too with their boys' decisions. Uh, But I do recall one night that I could over, because I'm still listening and I'm watching, and I overheard what was going on in the basement and the language was not good. And it had just gotten to the point where I started to wonder if my son really was influencing for good at this point. So I actually remember that night, I got on my knees. I could hear the language coming up through the register. And I i literally prayed for a long, I mean, I think it was a couple of hours. I just lifted prayers up to God, and I said, Lord, how can it be? This has been going on for a long time. And if my son is at a point right now where he is not being the influencer, Lord, please help him get caught. Uh, yeah. And I have to say that. It wasn't long after that, that we actually got a call from a police officer and he got caught. Hmm. Midnight, Saturday night before
1: Easter Sunday. And I've got to go pick my kid up from the police. And you're yeah. the
0: pastor.
3: Right. I, yeah.
1: Indeed, I was. And, and still he am, was yeah.
3: 13. Yeah. So uh, we, Kevin and I have a basic um, parenting principle that we think kids should make mistakes early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. give them some freedom so they're not 18 making that kind of a mistake, they're 13. And uh, so I actually remembered when the call came, I said to Kevin, may I talk to the police officer? And he handed the phone to me, and I said, thank you. Thank mm. you.
1: Yeah, that was an answer and to the And so part.
3: Kevin picked him up, Yeah, and uh, we brought him home.
1: And we... Uh- got to have a real good conversation and real clear consequences. And he spent some time in front of a judge with dad and mom next to him and got some uh, community service. And, uh, and he also had a whole new set of boundaries. And we said, okay, you're not influencing, you're being influenced. And so uh, we pulled him out of that group for a mm-hmm. season. And uh,
3: and that experience yeah. changed him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the better. Oh, oh absolutely. Better.
3: Yeah. It was then shortly after that, he realized that uh, he was making wrong decisions and we we let him live with the consequences. Oh yeah, I,
1: The judge, saw, I gotta tell you, the judge looked and saw this couple that seemed engaged and caring and and pretty serious about discipline and started to back off and I said, whoa, 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 don't you back off you give him everything you can. They say, he said, really? I said, yeah, whatever you would normally give to any kid you lay it on him and our son looked at me and I looked at him And the judge laid it on him. And he did some community service, some different things. On top of the, my yard never looked better. I'm telling you, the next month he worked hard. Well, let me
0: ask you this, though, because, you know, some parents may be in that same boat. And they've got uh, what they would describe in a Christian home as a prodigal or Mm -hmm. the beginnings of a prodigal. Mm -hmm. And they may have stood in front of a judge with their child, their 13-year-old. And they got home that night, and it didn't go so well. He didn't respond or she didn't respond. In such a, a good way, a positive way. Yeah. What does that parent do when that actually um, puts a, a bigger break in the relationship? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, no easy answers to that, but I think you you keep praying, you keep loving, you hold your ground. Uh, I've watched so many parents that say, "Okay, now you're gonna uh, do that. We're gonna have this restriction. So you're on restriction for the rest of your life." Well, that's ridiculous. You know, what's more intimidating is a month. If you really mean it. And And, back it up. And back it up. And and your cell phone gets put in a box and your computer's off. And we're reading some books together. And we are, and you're doing some yard work. And you're not going to go to your room and play in your room. We're going to walk through. And we, as a pastor and as a couple in ministry, we walk with lots of couples and continue to who go through not just 13-year-olds, but 23-year-olds and Mm 33-year-olds who are still wandering. And, And being clear, articulating what you believe, where you stand. And then just to follow through with love. But to follow through, man, so many parents, they, uh, matter of fact, out of that one situation, one of the parents told us their child was gonna be on restriction for, I think two or three weeks, two days later, we saw him out kind of messing around around town. And I actually called the parent. I said, did you know your son's, well, yeah, he said he was really sorry. And he he said he wouldn't do it again. And I was like, are you serious? Do you love your kid or don't you? And now they weren't even a believer, but we had to have a a conversation. If you love your kid, you will follow through. Yeah. And so, yes. well, those
0: are good words. Uh, Kevin and Sherry Harney, authors of the book *Organic Outreach for Families*. I think this has been really stimulating. Just oh, thinking thanks. through how to engage those around you, how mm-hmm. to put you know a bit of risk into your life, mm-hmm. and uh, in doing so, honoring the Lord and drawing people closer to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gutsy, but it's the right thing to do. Thanks mm-hmm. for being with us.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Our conversation today has really demonstrated the importance of being authentic and intentional about reaching out to others, and uh, you'll get the encouragement to do that when you pick up the book, by the Harneys, Organic Outreach for Families. Look for that at a local bookseller or online retailer. And our website has a lot of resources to help you grow in your faith and learn to reach out. Uh, We've got articles, links, uh, video and audio as well. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time when we'll have more trusted advice to help your family thrive.